Hello, and welcome to the Tabletop Gaming Magazine podcast. I'm Chris Eggett, the editor of the magazine. Today I'm joined by Robin and Pete of Agents of Sigmar. We talk about returning to tabletop wargaming after a long hiatus, miniature painting, and five games to play if you don't have time to play Warhammer. How are we doing today? Yeah, good, thank you. Enjoying my lockdown life. Yeah, yeah, enjoying not having to go outside and remaining under a ceiling the entire time. So this is uh, this is uh, Pete and uh, Robin of uh, Agents of Sigma, uh, the YouTube channel uh, dedicated. Um, I'm going to say, in the most part, Beastgrave. That's right. Yeah, Warhammer Underworlds, Beastgrave being the third season of that. Um, that's kind of been the the game we discovered when it was first released three years ago, or nearly nearly four years. No, it is sorry, three years ago. Yeah, the game we discovered three years ago, and we fallen in love with it and built the community around that, really. Yep, yep. It started off as, uh, was it Shade Spire? It started off as, yep. and then it became Night Vault, and now it's Beast Grave. And it just hit the sweet spot for us. It's like about 45 minutes a game, so we, we could record a couple of games in an evening, and uh, for whatever reason, people enjoy listening listening to us play or watching us play. Well, I mean, it is very entertaining, the, the, uh, the games I've seen. The thing I want to talk to you guys today about is, is this concept of um, uh, not having enough time to play miniatures games. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and also this, um, this sentence that I keep running into people saying to me, which is, I, I used to play Warhammer, but... Uh, <laughs> and they've, and they've, they've run out of time, um, they've, they've done something reckless, like you know, had a job and a family and things like that. And, uh, Classic yeah, mistakes. <laughs> and, and now, and and now they're they're really stuck for time to uh, to to paint and uh, to play miniatures games. So um, so I, w- I wonder if you could sort of tell us about um, I guess Beastgrave and then um, and uh, the ways you got you got into that and the hobby and sort of that that's that kind of um, game itself. Yeah, well, I suppose I um, played warhammer years and years ago so i'm 47 now and i think i started playing when i was about 10 something like that um and uh games workshop years and years and years ago they did a range of uh, lord of the rings miniatures um and i was big into the lord of the rings when i was that age and so i gravitated towards those and then i discovered there were rules you could play with them um and then it kind of snowballed from there until i played till about 16 something like that and like a lot of uh, boys that age i then discovered that there was this whole other sort of sex out there that you could go and talk to and they might talk to you but not if you play with small models um so uh, i kind of gave it up uh, but it will come back in and out of my life a few times i, I was always terrible at painting as a, as a, as a child uh, but when you become older you get a bit more patient don't you so i before i had children i, I used to paint a bit um, I actually ended up meeting my now wife. Uh, she was, we used to share a student house and I used to paint my models on the kitchen table and we used to talk around the table and that's, that, that's how we ended up getting together. Um, so it's not completely true that you can't uh, uh, sort of find a wife <laughs> and play Warhammer. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, but, um, and so um, but then when I did have children, um, we I didn't do it at all, uh, but um, I picked up because of the miniatures, the uh, Imperial Assault, Fantasy Flight's Imperial Assault game, um, because I love Star Wars as well. And I watched uh, Zarastro's, um, who's the guy who does the painting videos for those, um, and they're really good videos. And so he got me painting the miniatures, and then that kind of, from there you start looking at what other miniatures you 
you might find and what you can paint. And I think around that time, Gaze Workshop completely killed off the old Warhammer world and bought out Age of Sigmar. Um, and then Pete kind of said, oh, do you fancy playing some games? So, sorry, Pete, that was your segue. To, to oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was kind of um, where it all began, really. And I can't even remember why we decided to play Age of Sigmar, but I think... You wrote an article about it for Geek Dad, and we talked about it at the time. And I'd been in and out of Warhammer as well since I was around 10 years old, and I'm slightly younger than Robin. Um, so I'd been in it since pretty much similar story to Robin. I'd been playing on and off since I was a kid, and then I did something stupid. I grew up and got married and had kids, and uh, it all went up in the loft, all got sold on eBay. And then this all happened, and, and we started saying, hey, well, I think more. I started saying, "Hey, Robin, we should we should record some games of this," and uh, Robin eventually uh, succumbed to my constant nagging, <laughs> and we eventually recorded a couple of dodgy games online, a couple of AOS games, and yeah, it just sort of slowly snow. I wouldn't say snowball. It was very very gradual for the first year because we didn't really do a lot, and then we uh, a few other systems caught our eye, and eventually um, Beastgrave. Well. Back then, Underworld's Shade Spy came out, and Robin got a demo copy of that from Games Workshop, and we saw. Yeah, we were quite fortunate because um, I sort of I do write for Geek Dad as well, and in fact, I covered Tabletop Gaming Magazine for Geek Dad when it first um, kind of hit, hit the shelves, um, and um, and so Games Workshop, after they agreed, after I wrote my initial kind of sceptical piece about Age of Sigmar, they agreed to send me a copy, and then um, and I kind of wrote a more positive. Outlook. I mean, for my first piece was kind of written from the point of view of a, an old person who, uh, not an old person, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> an old fan of the game who was disgusted with what they'd done with it without actually ever playing it. So then they sent me the rules, and I thought, and I found some, you know, quite a lot of positive things about it, and that kind of got me on one of their lists. So then they sent me, I think, Warhammer Forty Thousand to play, um, which Pete and I played um, that. Uh, as well and we recorded some videos for that but we were finding that they were taking a long time to record and we only had a very small subset of miniatures and so games were quite samey um but then they sent their brand new ultimate competitive miniatures game which was warhammer underworlds and pete i said to remember you were quite skeptical about it before the box had arrived um but then we played it and just kind of went actually yeah this is great you can you can very easily get a game of this in in 45 minutes you can play it on a coffee table if you want to and um because it's got a deck building and a miniatures element it's quite versatile and there's quite a lot of depth to it um so that's yeah. where we started and i think uh timing was a big thing because yeah. when you have children or you get into a, a a job that takes up a lot of your time a lot of the reasons why people stop playing warhammer is because it takes like four five six hours to play a game and you've got all the setup and you've got all the placing of models and then it takes about an hour just to move all your guys around the table everybody who's played it's familiar with this kind of thing but shade spire underworlds in general it, it even we could manage a game in under an hour and we're very slow so you know, for, for that kind of aspect of it, it's perfect for us because it's like, actually, we can sit down and we can have a few games of this in a very sh relatively short space of time. We're fairly slow players as well, so uh, other people out there can pick these kind of games up. And where they might get a game of something like Warhammer or Warhammer 40,000 or something like that, and they could possibly get three or four games of this kind of thing. You could get a small tournament in, in the space of the time, time as you yeah. could get a regular sort of sized game of Warhammer in. 
I don't know about you, Pete. I mean, growing up when I played Warhammer, there was often somewhere you could just leave the game. So when you when you finished it, it, was, it might have been on your bedroom floor, but you could leave it there and hopefully not trying any figures in between. But you could come back to it the next day. Um, and obviously, because you were at, you know, at school or whatever, at school holidays, you could just keep coming back day after day to play. So it didn't matter that it took forever to set up. But of course, when you've got limited space, children who pick things up and or just you know, limited, you've only got one table in the house. You can't just leave sort of two 2,000 point armies on the table for a week because, you know, your wife gets upset. Yeah, um, you need to so, Whereas Underworld, Underworld, you can play, pack it up, and, you know, and you can break it out play a game and put it back again or i would say all within an hour if you're yeah. focused on on what you're doing yeah yeah so on the uh so first of all that, that's exactly how i played warhammer as a child uh, i was going to say that we don't you know as adults we don't often do sleepovers uh in in the, in the, the way that uh, you might have done you know uh, as a as a uh, no. young teen um uh, <laughs> with the intention of the the competitive element's quite interesting isn't it they, they, they call it like a competitive miniatures game right yeah, yeah, um, they, do. yeah. They say uh, it's their, their. I can't remember if they say it's their most competitive miniature scale. What the exact tagline? Thing is the ultimate competitive miniatures game. Yeah, which yeah. is a loud, a brave call, I think. But they certainly have pitched it as a, a co- solidly competitive game. I mean, they had Blood Bowl already, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's sport. So surely, is is it more competitive than Blood Bowl? I, I, oh, that's that's a good question. Actually, I think it's a lot better than Blood Bowl. It's it's a lot faster to play than Blood Bowl. Robin's pushing my buttons now because he knows it's one of my favourite games ever. Uh, Blood Bowl is definitely one of my early loves as well. Um, it's definitely a much more fast-paced game because you have a lot less models, and so everything you do counts, every move you make counts. And and any hardline Blood Bowl players out there will say that Blood Bowl is infinitely more complex and and tough to play and more uh, tactically compelling. And uh, there's an argument to both. You could spend all day arguing this kind of thing, but I think it's it shares a very similar um, place in the gaming sort of. Well, I can't think of the word. Um, what's the word when you've got like a <laughs> like the Greek Culture. gods? They're oh, called pantheon. like the pantheon. That's it. Yeah, in the gaming <laughs> pantheon, they share a very similar slot. It's a very small, limited number of models on a board. It's a very limited area of play, and they're both quite tactically sort of challenging. So, yeah. I mean, that's why I think they've both done very well. Blood Bowl definitely has probably a bigger following, but then it's been around for, like, nearer 30 years. So it's got, a much hard, it's got a hardcore following, hasn't it, Blood Bowl? Definitely, yeah. But I think, I feel like for Games Workshop, this was a bit of a, a sideways step in the sense that the lore of the game is almost insignificant for Shadespire, whereas all their other games, it's, it's they're quite strongly tied to the lore. Even Blood Bowl, which still harks back to the old world that they've destroyed for Age of Sigmar, but they're... You, they deliberately chose to take the Shade Spire out, and that's in its own little pocket universe where nothing else really interacted with it. That's how it started, anyway, which was great for me because I don't find the law, I don't have time to study it, I don't find it particularly interesting, um, but I love the game. And I also think they kind of tightened up on a lot of the rules. There's very defined interactions in, in um, Warhammer Underworlds, which I, again, I find in the, some of their bigger games, those interactions aren't very well defined, and, and you, a, a game. It certainly was when I was younger, and I, and I kind of get the impression it's the similar now. A game can just be who can argue the best for sort of two straight hours, and whoever wins the arguments about the rules <laughs> interactions is the winner. Who hasn't, <laughs> had, who hasn't had a Warhammer game where it, it ended with one person packing up their models in a huff and storming out, promising to never ever darken the other's doorway ever again until <laughs> no, the next weekend, of course. You can't really do that, but I find it interesting 
because it is a competitive game and they have competitive tournaments. But the tournament scene and the whole Warhammer Underworld scene is incredibly friendly. I mean, you hear some horror stories about competitive Warhammer 40,000 playing, and I've seen some in Star Wars Legions. It's not just Gaze Workshop. Some absolutely horrific stories about competitive players. But those kind of players don't seem to exist in in Warhammer Underworld, and I'm I'm not sure why. But um, it's it's great. The, so the community is lovely. It's for the people who are really good. They you know they run their own blogs and things and podcasts, but they're all very very friendly towards each other and they all just want to they kind of all just want to have the best games possible and that is for a lot of them winning is is secondary it's about making the having an enjoyable game and it's funny that games workshop have got this it's the most competitive game and actually although it is uh competitive in, in the sense that you can have a a good tussle it isn't nobody is overly competitive you haven't you can't really get a win at all costs in this game because you can't game the system so easily because if you can game the system, because it's comparatively cheap, um, if everybody you else can do the same game, everybody else can game the system because everybody everybody's bought everything, which admittedly isn't isn't a small buy-in, but it's not a massive buy-in like some some miniatures games. Um, if you've got access to most of the cards, then what any anybody one person does, everybody else can do. So there's no gaming the mm. system. You definitely get uh, trends set in. Somebody yeah. will come up with a deck that they will win a grand clash with, which is what Games Workshop call their big sort of tournaments, grand clashes. And someone will win a grand clash with a specific warband, a particular deck build and stuff, and everybody will start jumping on that. Well, not everyone, but a large chunk of people will jump on that bandwagon because they want to win uh, local tournaments with the same easy-to-win builds and stuff like that. Yeah, but, but it's great because then you get one half people to do that, but then the other half of the, of the community will all try and find ways to stop that. So yeah. you get this ever-swinging pendulum of of the meta, which is the sort of buzzword, isn't it, of these types of games, of, of uh, people sort of d- trying to come up with the best build and then other people trying to stop that best build. And so everything, everything in a constant state of flux, except right now at the moment with everybody not being able to play, everything's kind of static. But normally normally the meta is, is sort of going backwards and forwards. There are a couple of warbands which are perceived to be stronger than the others, uh, but with new cards coming out pretty regularly every three months or so, that can change with, it, with each new release. So, so it's a bit like a living card game, really, isn't it? Or, yeah, um, it is. Trading card games, you know. It's, um, yeah, it's kind of a bit like Magic the Gathering and those kind of things, but with the sort of desk, uh, tabletop and a model element as well. So It's most like X-Wing, I think, in the sense that you have miniatures, but you also get cards which can boost the other other ships or miniatures that you already have. So I think, you know, you brought up one of my favourite words in gaming, is uh, which is meta. Yeah. Um, so get, get, go and tell me. Can you tell me what the meta is right now? Objective play. Objective that's, play. I yeah. think that's oh, that's probably the strong one. So yeah, there's <laughs> there's, there's the, the first two seasons. The meta, as it was, I'm using air quotes. No one can see this. Uh, the, the meta was a strong offensive play. So you just concentrated on charging across the board, smashing your opponent's pieces, putting on as many weapon upgrades and stuff as you could, and chopping them to, apart and and that was basically the game for two seasons, and people got a bit bored with that. And I think GW fair play to them because they run on such a long schedule. They're like 12, 18 months ahead of release dates. They did change that, and they've made uh, what we call objective play, which is um, the game itself has five objectives on the board that you have to stand on to sort of capture. Uh, they made those a lot more important again, which in the first two seasons they kind of faded into obscurity. No one cared about them, but there's well, definitely... Exactly. In the, they're quite an important play. part of the setup of the game, but in in the tournament we went to, in one of my games, we, we completely forgot to put them on the table. And did, <laughs> so, and did it matter? Because they, you could play without them and it didn't matter. Yeah. Whereas yeah. now, they're very much... 
Uh, they're very much part of the game. Um, and like I say, they're, they're probably probably slightly too strong at the moment. Uh, but as I say, it's a pendulum swing. So Games Workshop will hopefully um, got to mediate that and then we we'll might go back to a more aggressive play style again. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing um, uh, I like about games with a meta, which is, is it means it can live in your head when you're not playing. Yeah. Uh, you, can, yeah. you can sit there, you can think about um, building up uh, uh, building up your next deck or whatever it is um, mm. and and it's it's a way that you're sort of engaging with the culture on like a uh, philosophical level or something and sometimes you do just think of something in your brain uh, that, that kind of uh, clicks as a really nice um, or smart idea that you think I don't think anyone's thought of that <laughs> uh, and that sort of yeah, thing. I can't. I can't claim to ever have done that, or not at least thought. Of, you know, not thought of any good ideas that nobody else has I was thought. Say, of. I'm sure I've done that, but uh, when I actually put them into practice, I suddenly goes, "This is terrible. Why yeah. have I done this?" this I am. I'm enjoying at the moment trying to get one particular warband, which aren't particularly fancied, uh, trying to get them to play in a slightly different fashion. Uh, it's not going terribly well, but I'm enjoying that process. In fact, it was interesting going back to the competitiveness of the game. They've just brought out this new warband, which are based on Nurgle, which is kind of one of the big oh, yeah. sort of pinups of uh, the Warhammer world, but everybody was looking forward to this warband. And frankly, they're a bit underwhelming on the tabletop, but the community has been desperate to uh, make them work. So the, the Facebook feeds and the discords have all been full of people trying different bills, trying out different things to make these subpar warbands be as good as everybody wants it to be, which is, which is a really nice thing. Uh, and much is testament to the to the player base really that not everybody's going well they're rubbish I'm just going to carry on playing the Grimwatch who are the current kind of favourites uh, they want they want them to work um, and are working together to make it so which is really nice I think yeah that's, that's, I, I really like that that's um, uh, unusual because I think a lot of the time yeah, yeah, drive, there's just a drive towards the uh, the winning meta or whatever it is or you know yeah. the, uh, or the easiest win or you know whatever it's just but it's not it's no fun really is it um so, uh, would, would you, Robin? Would you tell us about the, the war band that you're trying to make work? Uh, um, yeah, I'm trying to make uh, Iron Souls Condemners work, which are their Stormcast. Which are they, a lot of people don't like the Stormcast. They, they were, they're the fourth. They're the fourth Stormcast uh, war band to be introduced, and they were introduced in, in this strange um, extra release they did for the American mass market. So they released them through Barnes and Noble. And they were in the, uh, I can't remember what it was called, some, the Dreadfade. Dread Dread, Dread and it was a separate board game, which had slightly different rules to the to the main Warhammer Underworlds uh, three seasons. Um, but they said that the Warbands that were released would be viable for competitive play. And then they bought out, but they only released that in a couple of regions. So I think they introduced it in Germany and in, in the US. And I think that was it. But then later on, they produced the miniatures and the cards worldwide so you can't play dread well you can you can obviously you can order it and get it shipped in but you can't buy it in any of the countries other than germany or the us uh but they you can buy the warband separately um and they're a bit compared with the kind of the curse breakers which are the best uh stormcast warband the the iron souls condemners are a bit weak uh but they're just um i've i, I think that they can be made good if if they beef aggro play slightly a little bit then then they'll be good so i'm hoping i've got this i've been playing pete a few times with them i'm hoping when the when everything lockdown is lifted and they start shipping out new stuff there'll be some new cars because we reduce we'll do some new cars round about now or would be in the normal run of things um so i'm hoping there'll be some new cars just to take them elevate them from okay-ish to to, to viable viable contenders that's a, that sounds uh pretty good actually uh, i like i like the idea that you're going down this like uh, literary route 
uh, of of the, the really niche uh, warband that you just want to work. Uh, I, I think that's quite interesting. Uh, well, I think it's interesting playing on the channel because obviously a lot of people who play, they, 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 I mean, obviously people do want to win. They play the same warband every week and they might change a couple of cards, but they basically just try to make it as poss- good as they possibly can. Pete and I, if we did that, it would probably become stale quite quickly on the channel. So we play a different warband pretty much every week. Um, and so, uh, and also similarly, playing the Grimwatch every week, they are quite a lot better than, than, they're not better but they're, they're easier to score highly with so um if pete and i played those then we would score a lot of glory every week but it wouldn't be that interesting for the uh viewers to watch so it's trying to pick slightly more difficult warbands to play with um that then bring up interesting card interactions or just you know just bits of the game you might not have seen if you play the grim watch every week i suppose what about you pete do you have a um do you have a, a particular strange favorite band you like i, I think <laughs> People know me for I'm, I've got three solid favourites and they all come from season one. So they're all kind of considered uh, underdog slash non-optimal to play now. Um, one of them is uh, a warband called Garrick's Reavers and they're all like Chaos Reavers. So they're like Barbarian-esque type guys. Uh, and, and they were the first warband. They were in the, the, the first box with uh, alongside Storm, some Stormcast. So I've always had a soft spot for them. Uh, the other two warbands I like are what were called the Spokal Guard, and they were like a, a warband of skeletons, so uh, high in numbers but low in effectiveness, sort of a horde-style warband. And the third one was um, was Skaven, which is GW's IP'd Ratmen kind of army. And I've I've been a, a massive Skaven fan since I was um, a young young lad. They've young rattling. Been... Uh, yeah, yeah, a little <laughs> rattling, yeah. So they've always been one of my favourites, and like I say, all three of them are fairly suboptimal these days. Aren't considered to be particularly uh, competitive, but I think I've always had a strong affinity with them because, well, they they're some of the longest serving warbands. They've been around for so long now because obviously all the warbands from season one and two they're still usable in season three, whether they're good or not is another thing. But I always favour. I always seem to go for the the underdog or the the one that's not the top. I always tend to shy away from like who if you if you would say Grimwatch right now are like the top guys, I probably wouldn't pick them out over somebody else. I always tend to go for the for the underdogs and same with playstyles. I moaned constantly in season one or two when objective players it was wasn't any good. And now objective play is great. I should be loving this, but I want to go back into aggro. And, and, <laughs> and, and so I always tend to shy away from whatever the, the mainstream is. I'm not very good at making the, the alternatives any better, but I always tend to want to shy away from the mainstream. And that reminds me of an article that was written a while ago. And I wonder if it's just me sabotaging my, my own endeavours. So I don't have to worry about doing well, because if I'm picking the suboptimal blend, I know I can blame that regardless. Surely it's a search for novelty. Surely, I think what so. <laughs> like yeah, Robin said, yeah, we play different warbands every week and we try different decks all the time. Some people will play the same warband for six months, the same deck, and they'll change one or two cards here or there and they'll know it off by heart. But sometimes we pick up a deck and we haven't even... It will be one, one of our, uh, our Patreon supporters or something will have uh, sent to us and said, can you try this out? And we won't have seen it before until we actually get around to playing it. So we're sitting there thinking... Do I keep these cards? Do I bin these cards? I have no <laughs> idea if, if what I've got coming is any better or whether this is the best starting hand. I think what Peter's so, saying is we diligently research the cards and check yeah. out the warbands so we know exactly what we're doing Always. when we play. <laughs> but yeah, with a different warband or two every week, a different deck every week, it, it sometimes you, you're definitely ad-libbing as you go. 
Yes. Well, there's that situation. I mean, a lot of this game is knowing when to draw cards or discard a card. But if you if you and if you play with the same deck every week, that's quite easy because you know exactly what's in it. But if you're if you're changing all the time, then that's one of, that's one aspect of the game we're not so good at because it's like I've got three cards left. I have literally no idea what they are, so I have no <laughs> idea whether it's, no no idea whether it's a good idea to draw one or not. Yeah, it's not that we don't know the odds. We're quite good at math. We just don't know what the actual <laughs> no, cards <can't>. are. <laughs> And so, um, where does it fit in with things like um, Ice Player More Time? I think it was. Oh, yeah. Ice, ice okay. Player. I played a little bit of that. Um, and like other skirmish games. Um, I mean, does, it, does it count as a skirmish game? Oh, I don't I'd think say. it does, really. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. It's, it, there's no narrative aspect to it at all. Because you can, you know, it's, you can play iterations of the same three fighters as if both, both sides turn up with the same warband. Then you're you're playing the same named three named characters uh, on each side, and they've got they got around that in the law by saying the the Shade Spire was kind of uh, was cursed city, cursed, uh, yeah, cursed city. Yeah. So shadows of the of the bit these people who got stuck in it or wandering around, so you can they can fight each other, um, which is fine. So Mordheim and Frostgrave and Necromunda, they're all they all have a a, a narrative kind of uh, build up, don't they? Um, so it's I don't think it is a, it's it is more like a, well, like I say, it's more like a living card game with with a board game aspect. I, I... Yeah, it's definitely more your sort of your Magic the Gathering esque or your Hearthstone or something yeah. like that, where you build a deck and then you have models as well. And there's no tape measure, which means there's less arguing because who hasn't had that argument about yes. something six inches away or five inches away or twelve or yeah. is under the template or isn't under the template and all that kind of thing. So there's none of that. It's all a hex based board. Uh, but yes, they, like Robin says, they they manage to completely get themselves out of a hole by building it into the background narrative that there's a city where people can't die. So you can literally fight and all die and then say, same again, right, let's crash on. Uh, <laughs> the same people have just bumped into each other again. So uh, it's it's um, anybody who's a Warhammer fan uh, will probably know the name Nagash, who was a, a big necromancer back in the Warhammer fancy day. He obviously became a god in Age of Sigmar and he's responsible for all this. He's cursed the city and now the curse is getting out and it's got into all these other areas and that's what the seasons are based on. Sorry. So can we talk about painting? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so uh, you have loads of time to paint and you, um, and obviously uh, you have a huge studio set up with... Uh, obviously, yeah. With, with, yeah. with all Cameras the, everywhere, lights. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, all that sort of stuff. Uh, no, but tell, tell me, um, do, do, you, do you find time to paint? I know, I know you do do painting on stream. Um, yeah, we've just started doing a little bit of painting videos. It's quite funny because I'm a pretty incompetent painter, so it's it, I think it's, it's a bit uh, brass next to me to do a, uh, a painting video. Um, but I suppose I, I started doing them. I mean, mainly I've had a bit more time because of lockdown, um, and I just thought actually there aren't that there are some, but there aren't that many painting videos for people who are largely incompetent. Uh, <laughs> they're all they're all highly skilled. I mean, Zarastro is a brilliant. They're great for beginners but he's a seriously good painter anyway. So um, I kind of, the aim of them really is to, A, to improve my own painting a little bit, but also to to uh, show people that actually it, painting the miniatures isn't anything to be scared of and throwing some paint at the figure, it, it automatically looks 10 times better than grey plastic. Um, I've only I've only released the first one, so it's not it's a very fledgling series, and I like, and I do have ideas to start them and, and they don't go anywhere. So we'll see we'll see how many more videos come out. But um, we don't get a lot of time to paint, and it can be quite hard 
when new warbands come out and they bring out six or seven new models to get those we need to get those painted as fast as we can because they look so much better on camera uh, and that can be that can be tricky uh, the new contrast paints helped a lot because you can do a do a half decent job in in a very short space of time with those uh, and they look okay on camera the camera hides a lot of blemishes so for the um, un- uninitiated like myself yeah uh, so what is a contrast paint i'm so sorry <laughs> so about this time last year games workshop released a whole new range of paints um and they they used to they have they used to have duncan Rhodes, who's left now used to do their painting videos and he had a bit of a catchphrase which was two thin coats so every time you were painting something you would have to thin your paint slightly and apply it twice over the same area just to get so you get a nice smooth coverage that way and that's like a pro tip number one kind of thing that's if you want to make your paints better painting better do that anyway games workshop released contrast paints with the tagline one thick coat and they're basically just a uh, set of paints and they said uh just slap it on and instead of having to do shading and highlighting and all that the stuff the stuff that gives that kind of more 3d look uh, so your miniatures don't look so flat the contrast paint because of what they're made of will flow into the will flow more into the cracks and fill that make those darker and leave the raised edges more like highlights so basically you would just paint them on one go and it will just be a, a, a one-shot paint I mean, that's just perfect <laughs> well and they are they are very good some of the colors are better than others but they are very good pete swears by them yeah. um, but if you want a half decent look you know you only need four or five of these paints and you can you can make any any model look fine you could definitely get to what they term as tabletop ready um and possibly even better than i ever had as tabletop ready when i was a kid i mean i didn't do a lot of painting when i was a kid and definitely the lockdowns helped uh but yeah contrast paints you can like robin says get three or four different colors you can paint a model uh in maybe half an hour or an hour uh, and have it actually not look really bad and and that's awesome for someone like me because i <laughs> am not good at painting i i I like doing it, but I don't like spending ages on it. I like to show, have something to show for my time because obviously we don't have a lot of time to spare. Um, so I enjoy them because they can give you a model that actually looks good in a relatively low time period. And I don't have a lot of space either. Um, all my paints have to be packed away and put on a shelf every time I finish because my painting area is also my, my desk where I work from home. So I have to have it all easily portable and you can do that really quickly with, with contrast paints because you haven't got to worry so much about having a palette or any of that kind of stuff as well. Should should, every, should everyone paint their models? Is it a sin to oh, have unpainted models? Oh, well, a... Pete, uh, Pete actually had this discussion today, I think, on on our Patreon Discord, didn't you, Pete? And you summed it up perfectly. Everybody should be able to hobby in their own way. So if you don't want to paint your models, then don't paint your models now if, mm. if there's a competition that says you have to have painted models well okay you're gonna to have to take, take that on the chin you're not gonna be able to enter that competition but uh underworld is, is unique in games workshop terms in that they they made all the models all the different war bands are different colored plastic so that you don't have to paint them there is no obligation and i'm pretty sure none of the grand clashes is there any obligation to paint so if you've just bought the box or you just don't want to paint them and you could just turn up with the uh, base models no no paint on them at all and just play as long as your models are dis- easily distinguishable from your opponent so if you're both playing with plain blue plastic stormcast then you might need to make some sort of identifier on them but other than, other than that you there's no obligation to paint and i don't really think there should be i can see why people want want to play i can see why people who you know who play a lot and put a lot of effort into painting their models might be a little bit aggrieved if their opponent is just playing a, a wall of gray plastic on, on a bigger game but 
that's their prerogative. They, for whatever reason, they've invested the money in the miniatures. If they don't want to paint them, they, they shouldn't have to. That's my my feeling on it anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. And I, I think that uh, that's the good thing about Underworlds is that you don't have to paint the models. I think they have even had Grand Clash winners who didn't have painted models. Yeah, they did, didn't um, they? That caused a right stink by a, yes. a fairly <laughs> small group of people, but there were people who were really uppity about it, especially because yeah. it was taking place at, uh, it takes place at, um, Warhammer World the Mecca of Games Workshop yeah and they were like how can they allow them to have it but that really isn't the point of the game it's, you know, if and want... I wonder if that's what has maybe helped the community that we have because it's not that serious although to be honest people could go to Warhammer or 40k tournaments and stuff like that and you only have to have three basic colours on them um, so it wouldn't take much if you want to get to that standard but you don't have to do that at all with Underworld you can just literally take the models off their sprue stick them on the base and they're push fit as well so you don't even need glue for that kind of thing yeah. you can just quickly put them together the main thing that matters is that you've got the the right models the right boards and the right cards and you can play and yeah. uh, whilst i'd love my models to look like serastros or, or duncan roses or, or something like that i'm, I'm never going to do that and i haven't got the time to do that so I no, can make I'm not... them... sorry i can make mine look okay i can make them look that i'm happy with and yeah, I think games do look better with painted models. I mean, who amongst us hasn't, when you've been in the hobby, looked in a Games Workshop magazine or a similar gaming magazine and seen those full table spreads with all of the models on it? It just looks fantastic. But if you can't do that, then don't do that. And I think that's yeah. why we've built up the, the small following that we have in that we're quite, we're in, we encourage that kind of thing. If you want to paint like that, we have some awesome painters uh, we are good our patrons some particular. of them yeah some good of them are absolutely fantastic but equally there are others amongst us who are like I can't bother to paint and you know yeah, yeah assume, hobby hobby how games you want a hobby sorry I assume Games Workshop Drive was to try and pull in the X-Wing players and the Magic the Gathering players who can effectively just pick up a Mr. Pack or whatever of the game and just play it I assume their their reason for saying you don't have to paint it so that they can draw they could draw those those players in um, but I think it's worked, and I, but I think what's what's really nice about Underworlds is because it's a very very small model count that actually I think most people who do play have had a go at some point or other at throwing some paint on their fi figures because if you've only got three or four models to paint, it isn't anywhere near as daunting as if you've got a whole army of um, Stormcast or goblins to to paint. I've 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 recently started um, trying to paint again, and um, you know I, I used to do oil painting when I was younger. Um, I okay. thought so. This will be this will be the same. It's absolutely not. It's, <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, more than one side. There is more. It's funny though. I I'm in, utterly incompetent at two-dimensional painting and drawing. Utterly, utterly awful. Um, and I wouldn't say I was brilliant at miniature painting, but you can get with some fairly simple techniques. You can get, re especially with the contrast paints, you can get reasonable results. results. Yeah. Also, I'm painting things like. Um, D and D models and stuff like that, oh, yeah. uh, and um, and uh, occasionally you get a, a, a board game uh, that has a really nice mini in it. You think, do you want? Know um, have a have a bash at I'll that. that one. Ruin ruin that one. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, that there's a nice thick coat that obscures all the details. I can do that. <laughs> need to get need to get yourself some contrast paints. Yeah, definitely. I would. I would. Anybody who used to paint, I would definitely recommend doing something like that. They are fantastic. Um, so shall we uh, shall we try and do a top five? Yeah. yeah. 
For all of the latest game reviews and news, make sure that you subscribe to Tabletop Gaming Magazine. Go to www.tabletopgaming.co.uk for our digital edition and paper magazine offers. So I think I think we want to do the top five games to play uh, if you don't have time to play Warhammer. I guess I, I could put one in there. Yeah. And Robin probably won't agree with this one. And it's close as well, but I would put Blood Bowl in there. Because <laughs> when you know what you're doing with Blood Bowl, you can play a game in about an hour, hour and a half. But it's a long. It's, that's still a fairly long game in the grand scheme of things. So Yeah. Are they five games not including Warhammer Underworlds? Because we would obviously include that if we... If we we're going to say one because that's that's our favourite game. I mean, maybe yeah, not including Warhammer in the world. Okay, I mean, we, yeah. we're assuming that's position zero or something. Yeah, you know, okay. Like yeah. Right at the top okay. So I would say uh, Martin Wallace's Wildlands is a cracking little game. It, it's really fun and it's got a few miniatures and it's got a well, it's actually a very different game, two player to four player, but it's it's a good game. Yeah, it's we good. played a we played a, cop, uh, a game of that on our on our channel, yes. didn't we? And uh, yeah, that's a really funky little game. Rules are really simple for it. There's no dice rolling at all, is there? I don't remember. Uh, it's, rolling dice. Dice. it's all done on it's cards. Just all cards. There's a Judge Dredd yeah. version just about to come out or has come out. I'd, I'd like to get my hands on that. And they're bringing out the Dark Judges, Pete. I know you I know you like yeah, the Dark Judges. Yeah. In fact, it wasn't just Judge Dredd, was it? I think it had. It was like a 2000 AD version. Because I'm sure it had like um, Slain and stuff like that in it's it as well. It does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we, we've got a review of the um, those judges that you're talking about uh, oh, okay. coming awesome. in the next, uh, next oh, issue, I shall, actually. Uh, I'm a subscriber, so I shall look forward to that. <laughs> That's very exciting. Sorry. <laughs> oh, lost all professionalism there. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's read a magazine. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, cool. I, I poured over mine this weekend. I, I had about an hour where the children were presumably playing the xbox or something and i and everybody left me alone so i sat down with my tabletop gaming magazine and read it cover to cover it was delightful <laughs> it was a good issue actually a very good it, issue. Was. it yeah. was yeah it was um that was number two that was wildlands well pete and i are about to play necromunda um oh, yeah. uh, we have so we've we haven't played very many games of it yet but uh i i would put that up there because it's again it's a kind of hits the sweet spot for me that it's not too big the walk gangs of that are about 10 models um and there's a bit of uh, narrative evolution in that uh, which which appeals to me but um i found with, with the, the other games workshop uh skirmish games they very very quickly bolt on all the other bits of their system so they had kilte which really appealed to me but then before before you knew it they they'd basically added just about everything on apart from like huge vehicles and it, for us with us we didn't have the time to so we didn't have big collections so we couldn't play it where in necromunda you pretty much just buy your gang maybe a couple of ed- ed- extra bits but you then can play as many games as you like so necromunda definitely appeals to me more so than blood bowl pete <laughs> <laughs> what, so, sorry, what, what is the what is the argument about blood bowl here we played one game once because i think shortly after we started the channel robin got a copy of yeah. blood bowl mm-hmm. uh, the the third third edition or fourth edition i can't remember which one i think it's fourth edition um and it was like the big unveiling after it had been out of print for years and years and uh, obviously blood bowl was one of the first big games i got into back in like 93 when i was just 13 years old and so i was incredibly excited by it the models looked awesome and all that kind of stuff and we we pulled the models together and we painted them and we played a game and it took us i think five hours <laughs> But I think I think we played the first half and it took us about two odd hours, and then yeah. we played the second half and it took two and a half hours. And 
I think because it's one of those games that if you if you play it a lot, you quickly learn the basics, so you know what to do, and it becomes a bit like chess. You just you you move models without really having to think too much about it. But if you've never played it before, to suddenly have these twelve models and each one can do these a plethora of things, and there's all these dice rolls that have all these modifiers, it can very quickly get quite confusing. I mean, I find that is an issue generally with with games. I love to play games, and I love to play different games, but. I'm finding as I get older in particular, I can really have to focus on one or two games because although I'd love to, because I, I do review games for Geek Dad, I love to play all these amazing games that people sort of semi-offer, would you like to review it? But actually, there isn't the time to get into the nitty-gritty to, to, to enjoy it. But So Blood Bowl, we've only played once and I didn't really like it, but I have I have to say I have never liked it. So Pete said he, he really enjoyed it. But the, is, this, is this the fourth edition? I think it's the fourth iteration of yeah. it. Well, I, and I just have never got into it. So I, I remember we had the original, my friends and I, we had the original cardboard standee version, so which probably came out in the mid-80s, and I didn't like that. And then my friend got the one with the polystyrene board, and I didn't like that. And I think it's partly because it's based on American football, which I just don't really understand. Uh, but uh, but I like to just to tease Pete about it, really, because he, you know, he'd be desperate to play. If we could devote the channel to Blood Bowl, he totally would. But um, I, it's just I, I just I, it leaves me cold, unfortunately. Can't get the stuff. <laughs> my, my, another game I would suggest, though, um, but not competitively, because I've heard the competitive scene is Cutthroat, but X-Wing uh, for that pure pure visual and Star Wars, it's impossible not to quote the film and what have you when you're playing it. Uh, it's just it's just really good fun if you're playing it casually. Um, it's quick and easy. Uh, the movement counter, the movement, t- uh, what they're called, templates and things templates. are just really fun. Really fun. The only problem with it is I, th- I don't recommend it for children because position of the models is really important and children knock them over every two seconds. So you can't, you, uh, even my older children, they'll just lean over to get something, just scatter the X-Wings all over the place. Or, like, oh. or the direction well, their face quite, as well, I mean, really matters. My oldest, I could actually believe that's part of his tactic, just to put it back in a slightly different place. Uh, but um, it, it, all that's really important, but it's it's a great little game. And I say it's very, it's very cinematic and thematic. So uh, yeah, that, that's Four we're up to now, isn't it? Or is that five? <laughs> I think that's I think that's four. Yeah, so that cinematic play thing, that's quite I guess that's like a theme for all these games, isn't it? You you, you want like really quick um, Yes. and then like uh meaningful explosive action, I guess is what it is. Uh yeah. I think all these things are a bit like trying to build uh, it's almost a bit like any of these games you're trying to you're trying to sort of create a a, a, mil, a movie or a film or something in your head, you're picturing the cinematics of this stuff going on if it's in deep space then obviously there's ships flying around exploding everywhere if it's something like necromander or some more space age based thing you're, you're you know it's a bit like you're reimagining terminator or something like that and all of those sort of aspects sort of feed into this sort absolutely of, i love make believe world i haven't played it that much but i really my dad uh was really into um but well, he was really really into napoleonic warfare so he had loads of napoleonic figures but I, ne- I never really got to see those. But he used to, he play he was really into World War One and World War Two aeroplanes, and I played once or twice with him. Uh, Wings of War was it called? Which I think X Wing might have been based on. Which was the little um, uh, it had little stop with camels and little uh, or little Messerschmitts depending on whether you're playing World War One or World War Two. And um, Wings of Glory, I can't, I I can't quite remember. Glory, what yeah. Wings of Glory, Wings of Glory, yeah, sorry. Um, and that, I mean, X Wing is very like that, but that again, it was cinematically in a totally different way. But you could totally hear the put, put, put of the of the engines as, as and you, you know, you were trying to bank around corners and things. And it, that is again, it's that kind of 
visual experience, I suppose, when playing, which I, I need more now. I mean, when I was younger, I probably wouldn't have nothing more than to sit with my friends for eight hours and play Twilight Imperium. Uh, but now, uh, that just leaves me cold at the thought of doing that. Um, I, I, want, I need to take quick and uh, more visual. It's probably why I've got Blood Red Skies. Uh, but I, my computer here is resting on Blood Red Skies. Nobody can see it, obviously, but uh, I bought it. And I, but again, it's one of those things I haven't got time to play. My children roll their eyes at me when I suggest we play these games. So uh, tonight, just before coming on, we, I was looking at one of our patrons. He's a brilliant painter. He painted some Necromunda stuff. And my son went, oh, wow, that's exquisite. That's amazing. And I said, oh, well, I've got this game. Do you want to play it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, the minute any anybody's dad starts playing something, it stops yeah. being cool. Yeah, exactly. It's not cool yeah. anymore. So it doesn't matter. Uh, my my son has a friend, and his friend his friend's dad is fairly famous. You would have seen him on TV, and I'm not going to drop names. Uh, but but we went John. to. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God, no. <laughs> And and we went to um, a local theatre nearby and there was a picture of his dad on the wall with all these other people. He's like, why is his dad there? Like, because he's famous. And, <laughs> and they just didn't, because obviously dad's famous. Like, oh God, dad's on telly again. It's so dull. It's like, it's not uh, cool. The minute your dad does yeah. that, it's not cool. It's a bit off topic now, but did you see Hugh Jackman's interview with James Corden? Yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, his teenage son appeared in the background. He's like, oh, <laughs> dad. It's just hilarious. Yeah, I want to go on the computer. Yeah. Stop interviewing people on telly. <laughs> anyway, we digress. <laughs> well, uh, t- I think Sandy's Totsvig used to tell a story about because her dad was a newsreader in um, Denmark. And she she'd say she said um, she took a very long time to realise that uh, not everyone's father went on the television to tell them the news uh, <laughs> at six o'clock or whatever it was. You know. Uh, so, but so, what does everybody else's dad do? I don't I mean, know. What do they do? <laughs> We have this running theme actually in this in this podcast theory, uh, series actually, that, which is the um, uh, the gaming family and how difficult it is. Uh, do, you, do you have any wisdom to pass on? Uh, I've on... come to I've come to, to terms. I've made my peace with the fact that my family aren't gamers, and <laughs> I've, I think especially with the lockdown, there's a lot of people at the minute posting on Facebook and stuff like that saying I've managed to convince the wife to play Warhammer or we're going to play our first ever game of 40k or you know the wife's agreed to paint some models and I'm really excited and I've kind of got to the point now where I kind of I like the fact that it's just mine that I don't have <laughs> that I don't have to play with with the wife or the kids and that I can do my own thing and when I'm playing against Robin or whoever else I can be I can be quite cutthroat and merciless uh, and I don't have to then apologise afterwards and offer to you know make a cup of tea <laughs> to make up for the, the horrible trick that i've just pulled or whatever so i quite like that it's my thing and i don't have to share it yeah i'm i'm not quite there with with that here i i've given up on my wife she'll play she'll play code names she loves code names mainly because she's brilliant at it the kids i i keep trying to get into games i think you have to aim you you have to kind of let them lead because if you like pete says as soon as they you know, get a sense that you want them to play it then they kind of they shut, they shut off <laughs> um but i've the difficult the, the hardest thing is because me mine are 7 11 and 14 trying to find something that they all want to play at any one time is is the tricky bit i haven't really solved that the, the best way is to occupy one of them to do something else and then the other to play with the two, the two of them uh but um we've been playing uh the pathfinder adventure card game which oh, yeah. i bought years ago um but uh, the two older ones are absolutely loving it at the moment. We're playing that every day after school, school in inverted commas. Uh, we break that out for 
uh, sort of 45 minutes and, and play around and they're really enjoying that um and it, but it's just kind of I, I try and keep it quick so we're quite i'm quite enjoying roll and write type games um uh, because they're everybody kind of does their own thing and so it's not they're not too competitive and you don't you only find out that you've been smashed right at the end in which case it's kind of okay you haven't got that you haven't got that feeling of knowing there's nothing worse in a game when you know you're behind, especially if you're playing with family yeah. you know, and the, for the boys. They know they're behind. They know they can't catch up. Um, you know, they, you, it just gets, you know it's going to get out of hand then. <laughs> Whereas Roland <laughs> Wright, it's, kind of, it's right at the edge. like, oh, well, I got 432 and you've only got 20, but it's all right because the game's finished. Um, and uh, But I have, I've noticed interesting coping mechanisms. My middle one, who, uh, he's always beaten by his big brother, uh, he will just play the most ridiculous tactics uh, and enjoy it just love it it almost like play um what do they call it interference almost uh, and just love that mm-hmm. uh and it, it drives my my oldest insane because she's like you're not playing properly yeah i can't i can't plan anything because you're just not doing you're not doing what you're meant to do um which is hilarious <laughs> i pre- i appreciate that approach to um to the game sometimes i think some people think it's like bad faith or something um but it's not really no you, you just you're just using what's in front of you to uh, yeah. <laughs> to have fun with the people around you as well really i mean if you if yeah. you if you don't know what you're going to do then your opponent's got no hope of guessing <laughs> what you're doing. so you know what what better way of countering someone's tactics but also you get to be a kingmaker sometimes which can feel quite good uh, yeah you know, so uh, yeah um do we need a fifth game did we I think we kind of do but i, I think <laughs> robin kind of touched it actually which was the um the pathfinder one which is oh yeah yeah which is actually we played that for a while in our our D and we we had a D and D group for years and years and years and years and uh, some of us because some uh, moved up north so we couldn't meet as regularly and we we sort of picked that up as a as a good alternative to just actual role play. Um, you, you don't have to maybe quite put as much into it as regular role play, but there's still an element of it in there and there's a lot of decision making and 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 team play and stuff like that. But that was quite yeah, there's a no, game. There's you no could, miniatures, but it is it is good fun. Uh, so I'm really enjoying it with the kids. I think I don't think they're making it anymore. I think they've done four or four seasons, maybe. But um, it's really it is good fun. Um, I think it's more of a casual thing. Although the, 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 the biggest time consuming thing is kind of learning how to set it up. Once you've got that, it's all right. So in some ways, it's, it's good if you can play it over repeated evenings because you it, it becomes very second nature to, to set it up. Um, but it, it is good fun and it's great in this, these circumstances uh, because. We can play every we can play every evening. <laughs> That's great. Um, cool. Well, thank you, thank you very much, guys. Uh, thank you for coming on and enlightening me about um, the world of uh, competitive um, uh, miniatures games. The um, ultimate competitive miniatures games. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, yes, <laughs> the, it's the ultimately competitive <laughs> miniatures games. Sorry, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah. um, where can people find you and all that all that sort of thing? Okay, uh, we're just stuck in my house at the moment. No, uh... <laughs> yes, yeah, so and your address, your postcode is. Uh... <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we're on YouTube uh, as Agents of Sigma, um, and we have a pa- we do have a Patreon as well. Uh, if you do, if you do enjoy what you find on YouTube, you um, you can come and join us on Patreon, which is you get extra games and some some behind the scenes chat and things, which is which is really good fun. Um, I do do a few reviews on Geek Dad. But um, we're mainly on Agents of Sigmar playing Warhammer Underworlds. And once lockdown is finished, we'll be playing Necromunda 2. Or not yeah. Necromunda 2, but Necromunda as well. <laughs> yeah, I think sequel, we finally. Literally, we, we've done it long enough now that we can. If you Google Agents of Sigmar, 
uh, you will get us in the first like 10, 10 responses, which I'm quite happy with. So yeah, you will yeah, be able to find us very easily online. We, do, uh, we, we are on Facebook as well, so you can find us on there and Twitter and Instagram, although they're a little bit less travelled uh, yes. than Facebook. But uh, what we do try and pride ourselves on is if you do have a question about the game or anything really, we'll we'll get our, do our best to answer it. Yeah. Um, so just to try and, and try and keep that community going. Yeah. Where's the best place for people to sort of meet your community if they just wanted to sort of go see see what the uh, people are like see if they really are as friendly as you said yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say I, I think that the, the main places where people sort of congregate and chat there's um, there's Discord I don't know if people haven't heard Discord it's just like an online chat platform uh, there is a Discord for Warhammer Underworlds it's an unofficial one there's also um, a couple of unofficial Facebook pages as well for Underworlds and you have to they're, they're private pages so you do have to join them but there's nothing scary in that and there's generally a lot of friendly people all chatting about Underworlds in both of those places. And, and a lot of talk of what uh, tournaments and things are around. Because the, the, the best place to meet new players is, if you haven't got a local game club, it is to go go along to a tournament. And there's, you know, shops, a lot of shops run them, and they can even sometimes even only have four people in them. But if, you've, if you're not playing with anybody else, that's four more people than you were playing with beforehand. So <laughs> you can play. They're not too serious, and, and they're good fun. And again, there's quite a few... We're, we're members of the London one. There's quite a few regional Facebook pages for, for games as well. So I guess if you can find your whatever your regional uh, Facebook pages, then that's probably worth joining too. Yeah. And um, you might end up marrying the person afterwards anyway. <laughs> it's possible, although I don't play, as I said, I don't play games with her. So. <laughs> ah, so you'd have to take a hit for that, I suppose. Yes. She, has, she has played the odd game of uh, D&D, but um, she's never, never uh, played anything with uh, tabletop miniatures. <laughs> yeah, that's the line drawn yeah yeah just get a withering stare as soon as the models come out new <laughs> one of her friends calls it hobbiting <laughs> so uh she's yes yeah, she's uh, this phrase the verb to hobbit so if i'm if i'm busy one weekend her friends are, oh is he hobbiting this weekend that's <laughs> <laughs> yes. very good <laughs> Quite, it's better than than the like uh, my mother-in-law would call it. Are you are you gaming with your soldiers? My mum used to call them little men. Yeah, little men. Are you playing with your little men this weekend. <laughs> mum, they look cool. <laughs> That's perfect. Thanks, thanks, guys. No problem at all. Thanks for listening. Our theme music is by Body in the Thames, which you can find at bodyinthetems.bandcamp.com. You can find us on tabletopgaming.co.uk and follow us on Twitter at tabletopmag, on Facebook at tabletopgamingmagazine, on Instagram at tabletop underscore gaming underscore magazine, and we've just launched a Twitch channel. You can find us there on twitch.tv forward slash tabletopgamingmag. If you like the show, recommend it to a friend, rate us in the iTunes store, or subscribe to the magazine, which you can do on our website.